wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, ladies, I know that this is the sermon you have been waiting for all year and that you are just excited. I can almost picture you in your mind thinking, why didn't I volunteer for nursery this week, right? That will be the last time you are ever selfish. It's your fault. So um, let me say this as we start. Christian history is lined with important, influential, godly, strong women who have made incredible marks on Christian history for the cause and fame of Jesus Christ. Let me give you two examples to begin. Sarah Edwards. Sarah Edwards was the wife of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is this well-known thinker, pastor, theologian. Secular or religious, everyone sort of agrees that Jonathan Edwards is one of the finest minds our country has ever produced. No less impressive was his wife, Sarah Edwards. Sarah Edwards was the mother of 11 children. While her husband would spend up to 13 hours a day locked in his study, she would do much of the work of managing that household. And she did so with such skill, competency, that all those around her noticed and took notice and remarked about it. For example, a very famous preacher named George Whitfield, who also is very well known throughout history, once visited the Edwards and said that they were the sweetest couple he had ever met. In fact, he later wrote describing Sarah Edwards, and he said this, she is a woman adorned with a meek and quiet spirit. She talked freely and solidly of the things of God and seemed to be such a helpmeet for her husband that she caused me to pray that God would be pleased to send me a daughter of Abraham to be my wife. That is that George Whitfield saw this woman, was so impressed by her that he then began to ask God, give me a wife as well that is like that. Her influence is so great that some historians say that there is no American industry begun in those days that did not have a member of the Edwards family as a part of it. Some have called her the mother of this nation because of all the descendants and all their contributions to their country. In the 1900s, one historian traced the descendants of this union between Jonathan and Sarah Edwards and found at, at that time, this is 1900s, there were already 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 66 doctors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, three senators, three mayors, three governors, and one vice president of the United States of America. Someone said of her, whatever that family has done, it has done ably and nobly, and much of the capacity and talent, intelligence and character of the Edwards family is due to Mrs. Edwards, a remarkable woman. Okay, let me tell you about another woman, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of a Christian missionary and martyr named Jim Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was studying classical Greek when her husband, Jim, met her. Till that point, he was considering missionary work and even single missionary work devoted only to Jesus. Then he met Elizabeth and all that changed. He suddenly felt this desire to be married because he fell head over heels in love with her. The two were married and became missionaries to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. That people group was a fierce people group that had not yet been reached for Jesus and his gospel, and any outsider that went to them was killed. Nevertheless, this couple moved to Ecuador, and Jim Elliott and four other missionaries 
encountered the Aka Indians and were speared to death. That left Elizabeth Elliot, newly married, a widow with a 10-month-old baby girl. And yet, instead of returning to her home country, she was determined to reach the Aka Indians and stayed precisely there, so much so that she learned the language and within just a few years moved in with her 10-month-old baby daughter to the village of the Aka Indians and forgave and won the very killers of her husband so that the very man who killed Jim Elliot became a Christian himself. Remarkable. Now here's what I could say. I could go on with dozens and dozens and thousands and thousands of influential, important, godly, strong, bold, courageous women who have made an incredible mark and left a legacy for generations in Christian history. And I want to say each of them also believed in the doctrine of submission, that as wives they were to submit to their husbands. Now, what does one have to do the other, you might ask? And I'd say, you're right, nothing, except to say this, that tragically we hear the words greatness and submission and we see them as incompatible and contradictory. We do not know how on earth you could have greatness, legacy-leaving, world-impacting, world-changing, and submissive in the same sentence. We don't see how the two could relate. We would imagine if we were honest, I think, particularly if your background is not in church, you hear something like that, and you would be tempted to imagine that a faith that requires wives to submit to their husbands, as Christianity does, will most probably produce weak and wimpy women. We would imagine when we think of a wife that is submissive, we would likely picture a woman that is as quiet as a church mouse with the backbone of a wet noodle. We, we picture someone who is probably not all that bright, strong, bold, intelligent, competent, and capable. And, and, and the question we've got to ask is throughout church history, how can women who were so bold and so strong as to face the killers of their own husband, so bold and so courageous as to be the embodiment of those words, so influential, intelligent, capable as to leave legacies for generations and imprint upon the whole nation, how can such women at the same time be those things and allow themselves to see themselves as subordinate to and under the authority of their husbands. How is it possible for strong, courageous, bold, competent, intelligent, capable women to see themselves as subordinate to and under the authority of their husbands? When we hear wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as we heard from Ephesians 5, I think if we're honest, most of us don't know what to do with that. That is, needless to say, a highly controversial word in our day and culture. In fact, I preached last week and this week on marriage and husbands and men, and I will say to you, I find it far easier to say to men, as we did last week, husbands, love your wives 
and give yourself up for her as Christ gave himself up for the church. To call men to die to themselves for the sake of their bride. To call men to come in last so she can come in first. To lose so she can win. To die a thousand deaths every day for her sake. I find it easier to say that than to say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Partly because I am scared of the women at Seven Mile Road Church, right? But I'll tell you this. One sounds noble. The other sounds primitive. When I say to men, love your wives, give yourself up for her, die for her sake, you come in last so she comes in first, that sounds noble, even romantic. You could, you could produce songs on the radio with that stuff. Nobody is singing about how I love to submit to your authority and follow your leadership, and I'm so glad you're the head of our home. Because when I say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, that sounds oppressive, primitive, sexist, and chauvinistic. It's entirely different. And so maybe you're here, and if you're new, especially if this is your first week at Seven Mile Road, welcome to Seven Mile Road Church, right? You must be thinking to yourself, surely this guy cannot be serious, right? Maybe you're even thinking to yourself, this is why the Bible is an outdated book, or at the very least, this has to be one of those passages in the Bible that no longer apply. Or maybe if you're here and you do believe the scriptures and you do submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you're thinking to yourself, fine, I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. And I would say to all of us, hear me out this morning and hear what the scriptures would say. In fact, I would say to you, if the word submission is a word that turns your stomach, and elicits from you a negative reaction, I would suggest to you, you have not understood the word submission biblically. You have not heard it from its own context. You have not let the Bible speak for itself. In fact, you have likely imported alien views of the culture around you and pressed them down onto the Bible. And I want to invite you this morning instead to let the scriptures speak for themselves, to hear afresh and anew what that word means, to hear this word rightly understood would, would I think and hope and my prayer has been cause you not to run but to run towards it and to see it as good. I, I want you to know when God calls a wife to submit to her husband, he does so not to crush her, not to ruin her, but he does so like everything else he commands his people for their good. There is not one command God gives to any of his people that is intended to hurt them, spoil them, ruin them, destroy them. But all his commands are for their life, for their joy, for their peace, for their happiness. So likewise also this one. And I want you to hear that. This idea came from God. You have to hear that. It didn't come as a result of the fall. It was wired into creation before sin. It didn't come because a, a group of chauvinists got in a back room somewhere and, and figured out a way. It didn't even come from your husband. As you're sitting there probably elbowing him right now, he didn't come up with the idea. God did. And if God did, then we've got to consider what is this all about and what is it that God has for us. Okay. Last week we talked about men in marriage and the role that they play. This week, we want to address the ladies and have God's word speak to you. For that, turn with me to Ephesians 5. We looked last week at verses 25 and following. This week, we're going to look at verses 22 
to 24. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. As you turn there, let me just pray and ask the Lord for help. Our Lord, who is here, who is here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, present even now with us, hearing our prayers, we pause and come to you and ask you for help. We ask that your own spirit would open your word to us and show it for what it is, not death, but life in print. The word of God is living and active. It produces life. So we pray that even now that you would be able to help us drop our defenses and the barriers which would keep your word from penetrating our ears, making its way to our hearts and producing fruit. We pray that you would open us to your word, that all of us would submit to you, yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to you, that we would abandon our ways for yours and our thoughts for yours and know that you are higher and better and more good than us in every way and that we would gladly yield to you as the church does to Christ. Come and preach a good word to our hearts, not by mine, but by your own word, through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here again, Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let, let me review for a second and tell you again what we said last week. That is that in these verses, Paul as he's writing this, is drawing a connection between marriage and Jesus. He's drawing a connection between our relationship as husbands and wives and the relationship that Jesus has with us. He, he's trying to say here that marriage has a point that's much bigger than what you initially think, that this thing is actually a picture and a portrait of a greater reality, namely the relationship that Jesus Christ has with us, the church. That's what the church is. Not brick and stone, but a people. And the Bible calls those people the bride of Christ, or Jesus' wife, or Jesus' church. And so what marriage is ultimately about, let me remind you again, is a portrait and a picture of that good news, of the relationship between Jesus and us. So your marriage is not ultimately about your happiness. It's not ultimately about your fulfillment or your stability or your security. It's not about the chemistry you feel. It's not about how much in love you are or not in love you are. Your marriage is about something much bigger and grander and greater than you know. Your marriage is the means by which God intends to communicate to the world what he is like with us. Your marriage is the means by which God intends to communicate to a watching world how he relates to us. How does Jesus relate with us? So husbands, go and relate with your wives in such ways. How do we relate with Jesus? So wives, go and relate with your husband in such ways. As Jesus is the head of the church and loves us and lays down his life for us and sacrificially serves us, so husbands are to do so to their wives. As the church, hear me, receives that leadership and responds to it with joyful and glad respect and reverence and submission, so also a wife is to do towards her husband. This is why marriage exists. This is why your marriage exists. So last week we said, husbands, what does that look like? And, and, and I would encourage you, if you were not here, 
I'd encourage you to go online and hear that so that you might have the right context in which to hear what we're going to say to the wives. Does that make sense? If you don't hear what we said last week, then all you'll hear is me saying, wives, submit to your husbands. I need you to hear that that is housed within a context which for nine verses called men to love and lay down and nourish and cherish, provide, protect, die for the sake of their wives. It's in that context that God issues this word to wives. So last week when we considered, men, what does it look like for you to live out your role? Here's what we want to say to women as you consider, what does it look like for you to play your part in this great dance? Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, there's the word that will trouble many of us or will get me in trouble. It's wives, submit to your husbands. Now, before we talk about that word, I, I want you to just notice something. Do you notice that it says, wives, submit to your own husbands? Your own husbands as to the Lord. That's important because I want you to know that neither Paul nor the scriptures, nor Christianity is this male-dominated thing. The scriptures are not saying that all women are to subject themselves to all men. It's not saying that all men have authority over all women. It is saying that wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. It is not saying that men are here and women are here. It is not saying that all men have authority over all women. It's this unique, one-of-a-kind relationship that is like no other. A wife relates to her husband in a way that she relates to no other man. No other man has intrinsic authority over her. That is not what the scriptures are teaching. The scriptures are saying in this one unique relationship that is pictured and patterned after Jesus and the church, men are to be like Jesus, women are to be like the church, and so wives... Submit to your own husbands. Also notice that it says, as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That is, that your submission is ultimately directed to the Lord. It's done unto the Lord. So hear me. When a Christian woman submits herself to her husband, she does so ultimately as submitting to the Lord. What that means is she does not submit, you have to hear this, because her husband deserves it. She doesn't submit because her husband has earned it. She doesn't submit because her husband has qualified for it. She submits as unto the Lord. This is in love for her Lord that she submits, not because he's qualified, not because he's deserved it, not because he's earned it. So you don't submit on the days he's doing well and stop submitting on the days he's doing poorly. This is unto the Lord. I, I want you to hear this secret. Your husband does not qualify. I'll save you the trouble of waiting for the day that he does so that you can then submit to him. Your, your husband does not deserve your submission. He has not earned your submission. He will not qualify himself for your submission. There is nothing about him. I know the men at Seven Mile Road. There's nothing about him or me that has qualified us to make you respect us or revere us, as verse 33 will say, or submit to our lead. You do this not because of his qualifications, not because he's earned it, but because 
you do it unto the Lord. This is unto the Lord that a wife submits to her husband. Listen, this is, this is key for both of us. This applies to both. When the scriptures say, husbands, love your wives and give yourself for her, die for her sake, a husband will be tempted to say, but you don't know my wife. I mean, she is impossible. She has not deserved that kind of love or service. And what will the scriptures say? The scriptures will say, son, Jesus Christ, you did not deserve his love for you, giving his life for you. And yet, through no qualification or merit of your own, Jesus loved you that way. Go love her the same. Likewise, when the scriptures say to a wife, wife, submit to your husband as to the Lord, a wife will be tempted to say, but you don't know my husband. You don't know him. He does not deserve my respect. A, a wife will be tempted to say, but I could do this so much better. I'm so much smarter. Again, I know the men at Seven Mile Road, right? A wife will be tempted in every way. And what will the scripture say to her? Jesus came not, and, and he surrendered and submitted himself even unto death, not because you were worthy or deserving, but because you qualified for it. So as the Lord has done for you, so you now go and do for him. This is ultimately unto the Lord. And so measure your days not by his performance, but by your own devotion to the Lord. Qualify him not by whether he's performed well that day and has earned your submission, but is Jesus still Jesus? Then you do what you've been called to do. All right, now about this word submission for a minute. It's not necessarily that the word submission is a hard word to understand. It's not that we, we don't really know what it means. Mark Twain once famously said that it ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do that bother me. I think the same thing can be said here. It's not that we are bothered by the idea of submission because we don't understand what it means. I, I think we know well what it means. It's just the idea itself that we don't like. Submission means to acknowledge or recognize authority. It means to acknowledge or recognize authority. It means to voluntarily come under. It's, it's this military term even that means to find one's place in rank. Submission is a wife gladly, joyfully finding her place under the authority that God has put over her. Now, nevertheless, in order to try and clarify what this means, let me say a few things that submission is not. Right? In order to try and get you to understand what this word is about, let me tell you first what this word is not. A few things. First, submission is not because women are inferior to men. Hear that. If you've thought that, if you've heard that, you've imported an idea from outside the Bible into the Bible because the Bible is not saying that. So hear it again. Submission is not because women are inferior to men. In Genesis 1 and 2, the man and the woman are both made in the image and likeness of God, both blessed by God, both given the command to rule over God's creation. They're equal in every way, equal in every way throughout the scriptures. In fact, even in the three passages that talk about how husbands and wives are to relate, 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, all three of these passages call wives to submit to their husbands. 
and all three of them address the wives first. We preached on men first, but in the text, the order is Paul addresses the women before he addresses the men. Now, here's what's peculiar about that. In Paul's day, in Paul's culture, everyone thought that women were inferior. There was no argument about that. There was no debate about that. A woman knew her place in society, and that was at the bottom rung, one step above kids. And yet Paul, hear this, Paul doesn't just say, he doesn't address the husbands and say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. Do you notice that he speaks to the women? Why? Because they were equal, independent Christians like him. He doesn't just tell the husband to make sure she submits. He speaks first to the women and says to them as sisters in the Lord, he calls upon them to freely give, voluntarily offer their submission. It wasn't going to be forced on them. It was something that they now as co-heirs, as the Bible will say, of the grace of God, equals with the man, would now need to voluntarily give themselves to he calls upon them to voluntarily, of their own will, of their own volition, give their submission to their husband. He does this because they are by themselves able to make this decision on their own. What I mean by that, what you have to hear by that is, what that means for us is, husbands, hear this, it is not your job to make her submit. That wasn't a command given to you. Your job is not to make her submit. That's never in the text. Because the text calls upon her to freely offer submission herself, to voluntarily give her submission to her husband. Submission has nothing to do with who's better, who's smarter, who's more qualified, who's more able, who's a better leader. It has nothing to do with who's greater or who's lesser. None of those things. You have to hear that even if you're a Christian who's grown up in the church for a long time, perhaps there's a part of you that knows you've got to believe this stuff, but deep down are wondering and worried if, if Christianity is sort of sexist a little bit or a little bit chauvinistic. I want you to hear the scriptures say that these two are equal in every way. She is not submitting because she is inferior. Right? You can have a woman, what that would mean for today is you can have a woman who is the CEO of a multinational corporation, a proven leader, competent, able, intelligent in every way, and it does not change God's word to her in her marriage, even if she married a high school dropout. Because this is not about qualification, this is not about performance, God's kingdom doesn't work that way. You see, God is trying to tell the world something through marriage. And it's not just about what works in your relationship. God is trying to tell the world something through marriage. And for that message to be truly conveyed, he's saying, husbands, you got to act like Jesus. And wives, you got to act like the church. And it's bigger than just what works for you. Husband is, su submission is not because women are inferior. A second thing. Submission is not degrading. Submission is not degrading. In Genesis 2, when God creates the woman, he calls her a helper. The scriptures tell us that she was made for the man. She was made to help the man. Now, when you and I hear that as 21st century uh, modern people, 
When we hear that, we immediately think that helper has this connotation to it, right? As, as beneath, as lesser. So when we hear helper, we almost think to ourselves, someone who's able to do the task almost by themselves but could use a hand. And so we think to ourselves that that's perhaps what God means when he calls the woman a helper. Adam could probably do it, but he needs a hand, and so here comes Eve. But I want you to hear that's not what the scriptures say. In fact, do you know that God calls himself our helper? You have to hear that again. God calls himself our helper. That's not a, a degrading term for God. And it's not that we could do it by ourselves. We just need a little bit of help from God. That's not the idea, right? The idea is without his help, we are lost. But thank God, he's a helper to us. O or this term is also used in military battle as to say the reinforcements that were needed, otherwise which the battle would be lost. Likewise, the idea that a, a woman is a man's helper is the idea that she is Filling in him something that is lacking through her own strength. She is filling in him something that is lacking with her own strength. She is complimenting. She is helping. He would be lost without her. He cannot do this without her. And so God has given to him a helper who can fill out the strengths he does not have. Right? Without him, he cannot do this. She fits perfectly well. It's like the, the theologian Jerry Maguire said, she completes me. Right? That's the idea. It's the idea that you on yourself, you stink, you can't do this, but God in his grace has given you a helper. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. Is that denigrating or degrading? No. Thank God because we could not do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. So likewise... Submission is not a denigrating or degrading term. Let me give you one more. Submission is not silent or mindless. A wife ought not think to herself, now that I'm married and he makes all the decisions, my job is to be the doormat. And so I have no more reason for thought or engaging my opinions or, or, or any of it. And, and the scriptures would say, you could not be farther from the truth. As a helper, as one who is going to respect he needs you in every way, and so he needs your thought, your advice, your opinion, your counsel, your particular giftings and strengths, apart from which he would be lost, which, without which he could not do what God has called him to do. And again, hopefully in, in a moment, I want to show you how all these things make sense in Jesus Christ. But a wife in calling to be submissive is not a call to be mousy and quiet and weak and wimpy. But rather in every way, she is to lend her strengths, gifts, counsel, advice, so that they together might fulfill all that God has called them to. Every, every husband who has a wife who is good to him will say that her fingerprint is all over his life and all over his work, right? I get to be the pastor of the church. I get to speak from the front. My wife's fingerprint is on everything I do influencing everything I say, every sermon I preach, everything we do. It, it, there's just no way for her imprint not to be on all of it. Last one, submission is also not just when you agree. Hear that. When we talk about what submission is not, I want you to hear this too. Submission is not just when you agree. What I mean by that is 
When you wives give in to your husband's leadership because you agree with him, that's not submitting. That's agreeing. Submitting is deferring to his leadership even when you don't agree. It's easy to follow along when you think it's a great idea. And that's what you would have done also. It is much harder to submit and defer to his leadership even when you don't agree. Did you hear verse 24 again? Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything. But I know better than him in everything. But I could lead this better in everything. But I, I could do this the right way if he would just listen to me in everything. Now again, please hear me. The context is of a husband who lays down his life and cares and nourishes and cherishes. But the call to you, wife, is not in the areas you are comfortable with, not in the places you agree, but in everything to submit to his leadership, to say yes to his leadership, to affirm it, to respect it, to do so not with a grumpy, resentful attitude, but with joy as the church submits to her head, so you submit in everything to yours. Now, I do need to qualify to say this. When we say in everything, that doesn't mean that if your husband is leading you into sin, you are to blindly and quietly and compliantly follow. Paul will say in other places, I was afflicted in every way. When he says that, he hopes you know that he doesn't mean that he went through every possible affliction, but that you'd understand the wide and sweeping nature of it. So likewise, when he says submit in everything, he doesn't mean if your husband is leading you to sin that you quietly follow. But where there is no moral ground at stake, you submit. Right? If your husband is leading you in sin, you have to remember, and I want you to hear this, your husband too is under authority. No one is outside of authority except for God alone. Your husband is under authority. He's under the authority of his church and his pastor. He's under the authority of his government and leaders. He's under the authority of God. And if he is sinning in ways that are outside the bounds of those authorities, then you are right to seek those authorities for your marriage. So hear that. If your husband is violent or sinful or wrong in ways that are outside of God's authorities, it's right for you to seek help from the higher authorities in your life of church or government and state and so on. He too is a man under authority. And so where he is leading you to sin, you, you follow the higher authority, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't break God's authority in order to follow this lesser one. But where there is no moral consequence, a wife is to submit to her husband in everything as the church submits to Christ. Now, as you hear that, if you're honest, what that does in your heart is that's, that's impossible. It, it's impossible because everything in your world tells you that, that what I just said is the dumbest thing you've ever heard. Everything in your culture says that my ramblings have been the most idiotic things that have filled space ever. Everything in your own flesh tells you not to do that, right? If, if a wife is independent and self-willed, that's not hard. That's, that's what comes naturally to you. It takes much greater strength of character 
to submit to the lead of someone else. What I'm trying to say is, in order for this to be a reality, you need Jesus. I want to say this one last thing, and I'm done. You need Jesus, and, and hear me, especially wives and future wives. If you get a vision of what Jesus is like and what God is calling you to and why he's calling you to this, I think this thing, rather than becoming detestable, would become attractive to you and would give you an opportunity to be Jesus in your marriage and Jesus in your world. Here's what I mean. When marriage was made right in the beginning, everything was wonderful. When it broke through sin, instead of loving him, her and submitting his life for her, he began to accuse her, blame her, point out her fault. She, rather than submitting, surrendering, and following, began to try and rule over him and not follow his lead. And Jesus came into the world to redeem both the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. And Jesus became the way that we understood what sacrificial leadership looked like and what sacrificial submission looked like. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is the vision for what leadership looks like. This morning, I want you to hear this. Jesus is also the picture for you wives of what it looks like to sacrificially submit. You know, when Jesus came to the earth, Philippians 2 says, though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, becoming humble, even to the point of death. Do you know that the Lord Jesus leads the way in what submission looks like? Because for your sake, the Son, though he was equal with the Father, submitted himself to the Father and to the Father's plan, even unto his own death for the sake of another. When Jesus was on the earth, do you know what you hear from his mouth? I cannot do anything apart from my Father. When Jesus was on the earth, do you hear him say, I cannot say anything other than what the Father tells me to say? When Jesus is on the earth, you hear him say, I and the Father are one, but he is greater than me. Why would Jesus say he's greater than me? They're equal, one in every way. And yet, though there was no inequality within the Godhead, he voluntarily submits himself to the Father. Jesus is your model for what submission is looking like. When, when Paul says submit, it's because he wants you to be like Jesus in your marriage. Just think through the things we already said. Let me ask you, did Jesus submit because he was inferior to the Father? The scriptures tell us he was fully God in every way. It's not that there was one ounce of divinity less in Jesus than in the Father. It, it's not that... Jesus had any less glory, power, might, majesty. And yet, though he was equal with God in every way, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, emptied himself, made himself nothing for the sake of another. He voluntarily, of his own will, of his own volition, submits himself to the Father for the sake of another. When Jesus submitted, let me ask you, was he silent and compliant and without opinion and without word? Or did he find a way to express what was in his heart but do so in a way that was still reverent, respectful, and submissive? Do you remember the hours that Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane before he dies? 
In that hour, what is he? He's vocal. He's honest. He's emotional. He's expressive. He tells the father what he thinks of the father's plan and how much he would prefer another way. And yet still finds a way to respectfully and without an attitude submit to the Father's will. He finally says, not my will, but yours be done. He, he's giving you a picture of what submission looks like. Or when Jesus submitted to the Father, was that degrading? Hear me, was that degrading? Did the Father degrade his son when he called him to submit? No, instead what you see is that Jesus voluntarily of his own will, remember that he says in the Gospels, no one takes my life. I lay it down. No one takes it from me. I'm giving it up. And he, in love for us, voluntarily submits himself to the Father, surrenders himself even unto death. And how does the Father respond to Jesus? If you go back and read Philippians 2, and I'd encourage you to do so, it says that the Father, because of that, exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, the name at which every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Do you see what the Father and the Son do? It's like this dance where they're out to outdo one another in love and honor. It's that the Son is going to say, I will submit myself even unto death to your will, Father. And the Father will receive that surrender and say, and I will exalt you to the highest place so that your name is above every name and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And it's as if the two are in this eternal competition to outdo one another in love and honor and each for the other. My friends, that's what marriage is. Marriage is this dance where the husband loves his wife and gives himself up and surrenders for her sake. And the wife receives that and responds by submitting for him and to his leadership. And he responds in turn by trying to exalt her and lift her and glorify his bride, as we said last week. And it's this, it's this eternal dance where you're constantly going, no, you first, no, you first. Where you're constantly trying to outdo one another in love. And so you wives have the opportunity to display to your husbands and to a watching world the truth of who God is and what Jesus is like. Submission is not coerced. It's not a duty forced on you. It's a voluntary gift that Jesus offered to his father. And in your marriage, you wives are being called by God to voluntarily give that gift to your marriage as well so that together you might be a picture of Christ and the church. So that's my prayer for Seven Mile Road and my hope for our marriages, is that here you would take these two broken sinners, selfish, petty, self-centered, self-interested in every way, and you'd bring these two sinners together and make them one. And then the Lord Jesus would enter their marriage, and this sinful man would learn what it looks like to give himself up for her, even unto death for her sake. And this sinful woman would learn what it looks like to submit to his leadership and surrender joyfully as the church does to Christ. And somehow the whole world who watches would see that is a lot like Jesus. Let's pray.
We thank you, Lord, for the example that you have led for us, left for us, and we remember that the Lord Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not consider himself too great to make himself nothing, did not consider himself incompetent or incapable, but though he was great in every way, made himself nothing, even accepting death and surrendering to the will of his Father. And the Father, in turn and in love, has exalted Jesus to the highest place so that we, even this day, confess with our lips that he is Lord. His submission has led to true life. The gospel has at its core death, and we pray that in our marriages too, we would both be dying one to the other, each for the other. But the gospel has at its heart also the resurrection, new life better than the old one, and and in our dying to ourselves for the sake of the other, we would find that we have a sweeter and better life than we have ever known before. We pray for, I pray this morning for the wives and future wives at Seven Mile Road. I pray that Seven Mile Road Church would be a place in this city that loves women better than every other place. I pray that Seven Mile Road would be a place where women are loved and cherished and respected and held in high esteem and honor, that cherished and nourished as a man does his own body, provided for, protected, defended, kept. We pray that this would be a place where women are prized in the highest degree as Jesus prizes his church. And we pray that that kind of love and sacrifice and death to self would produce a culture where the women respond in loving and joyful submission so that they might display to a watching world what Jesus is like. All these things cut across the grain and go against our natural thinking, but that is the wonderful paradox of your gospel. Through death comes life. Through coming in last, you come in first. Through losing for the sake of another, you win. Please help us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.